Welcome to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast, episode 19. Today on the podcast, we are going to have a discussion with Miss Tiffany Nieva, who is one of our therapists who is doing her internship with us right now. So on the podcast today, we're going to have a discussion about her experience so far working with Alpha, working in this field, what she's gained, what's been helpful for her. So if you are looking to go into this field, or you're currently in the field, or you are currently in school right now looking to go into this field, this will be a great one for you. Enjoy. What are we talking about today? Pornography and interns. Yeah. Interns and <laughs> pornography. Yeah. It's typically That's... a good mix when you come to Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. come in my office, we're gonna talk about porn. Yeah. It's a weird weird lead in. Not sure quite else what to do. Are we are we up and rolling? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Well we have Tiffany Nieva. Are we are we really recording? Did you say that right? Is that how you say it? Nieva. That is how you say right. it. Then we're That's recording. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Tiffany Nieva. She's an intern of ours. And Tiffany, I, I asked you to come on. It's pretty good timing because I know that we have some prospective students that have been listening in. So I went and pimped our podcast at UVU and University of Utah. And Mace might have some students listening. SLCC. Yeah. So. Slick baby. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. Did you did you study up on all the other podcasts? No, I'm going completely impromptu. Good. Don't lie. Good. You were like doing how you Googled how to be a good podcast guest. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just talk about stuff. Alpha keeps you busy. I don't have time for that. That's a good point. That is true. Yeah. We have plenty to do around here. That's for sure. It, so it is kind of a two part podcast, I guess. I mean, so ultimately we're going to end up covering pornography and I mean, it's something that a lot of our clients perpetually deal with. So we'll, and there's, a, there's quite a bit to go over, but kind of, I, I guess for the outset of what we're doing, um, you know, for, for listeners, you know, Tiffany, she started with us in September of 17. Is that, is that right? September? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, She's she's an intern at Our Lady of the Lake yeah. University, which is actually the university that sent us our first intern, which is uh, our fellow gorilla social worker over here, Justin. Yeah, I actually liked that school. I don't know what your experience has been so far, but I was a little apprehensive, like doing like online, but it worked out really well. I enjoy online schooling. I like the flexibility. That's that comes exactly with why it. I did it. Plus, like while you're online doing your class, you could look at porn online too, right? So there's the you segue. could do that. Yeah, yeah. right. Because you can't. I guess you can do that in class nowadays too. You got some Google glasses or something. You just do those things. While you're <laughs> According sneaky. to our clients, it's the thing to do. Or just write on your phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Google Glass porn or what? Watch porn while you're supposed to be in class. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, can like you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were in like a group and you're talking about, I mean, whatever topic we're talking about for that thing? You just walk by one of your clients on on their phone on our Wi-Fi network. He's got Pornhub pulled up. You're like, oh no! <laughs> <It's probably happened. laughs> yeah, I guarantee it's, it's happened. happened. Yeah, that's. I, I was going to ask how many times has that happened? I think that people have accessed pornography here 
on our Wi-Fi. Dude, you'd almost, like, if you were a client, you'd almost do it as a goof, right? Like a story to tell? I think you'd Violate have to. as a goof. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there I was yeah. talking to my therapist, and I was acting like, I was like, yeah, Tiffany, uh, thanks for helping me with this homework assignment. And meanwhile, I was looking at pornography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of well, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, when you just do the thing, you just do something goofy just to have a cool story behind it. That yeah. seems like, yeah, I'll go to prison for that, but hey. I don't know, know if that's goofy as much as creepy, though. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> look, I'm looking up porn. So as far as interns go, though, I mean, I don't know. I guess what were you worried about, if anything, prior to coming to us? I think my biggest worry in coming to Alpha as an intern was not so much the spectrum of the clients that we work with here, but being able to stay up to speed in the sense of learning the curriculums that need to be taught, the laws and the regulations and the restrictions that surround the clients in probation and parole, as well as all the different probation and parole terms. I was really worried about being overwhelmed. And were you correct in being worried about that? I don't think so. I think I had myself worked up more in the sense of, You guys have done an amazing job. Jeff, you've been a great mentor in the sense of um, being there to support me if I had any questions along the way. So it was really easy for me to pick up as I went along. And then um, I was able to train for a month before I kind of hit the ground running. And that was extremely beneficial in the sense of learning the note taking and the different things that are required in a client's file, as well as what the um, probation and parole officers ask for. So... Good, I'm good, I guess. I mean, so by the time that you got started, to the degree that you were able to hit the ground running, it, it was at least to the to the point that you weren't super anxious and not at least having an idea of what to do. Um, I winged it the first week. Yeah. I would be lying if I said that I didn't. Um, it was a matter of just getting into that routine and learning the different lessons and things. And then, like I said, um, having you available on Slack, you know, when I needed something or had a question as well as the rest of the treatment team sure made it a lot easier. You know, we, we dumped an inordinate amount of work on you more so than we do with a lot of interns. You know, we, well, so we, we did the same thing to Justin that we did to you. So we, when we, when Justin came and started working for us, we had just barely, uh, picked up a contract and we basically let that be his baby and, you know, let you take on all those clients. And the, the same thing happened with you. When you came on board, we had, you know, a, a new contract and, you know, that's, that's usually not something we'd ever consider with an intern is tur- uh, tr- turning a lot of this over. But there, there was a lot of like, I mean, it, you, you made me reasonably confident that you'd staff things with me closely, but, but also, um, I mean, the part that prospective interns or I guess anybody that doesn't know you would know is that you, you, there, there's something to your personality that you're, you're a grinder. Like you, you bust your ass like, uh, I don't know, like a veteran worker in the field. Is, yeah. And I guess you kind of are like, you're not really new 
a, to vet- this a veteran worker in a field. What are you saying, sir? I, what do you mean? I coin myself as <laughs> the backward student. I have a lot of experience in the sense of the mental health field. Yeah, starting out in oh a- the mental health field. What's it? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were making a racist comment. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying now. No, 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 not that field. <laughs> Our career field. Our career field. The career field. Yeah. Now, yeah. where is oh, okay? So now my mind's going in a weird direction. Yeah. Okay. We're not. Yeah. We're talking about the mental health field, folks. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and Tiffany started, is not working for free for us. <laughs> yeah. I started out working in the mental health field in my in undergrad, and then I've just kind of ran with it from there, taking on all kinds of different um, populations and caseloads and different things. So coming here was just basically a new experience and the contract that you're talking about, I kind of embraced it as a challenge, a challenge to challenge myself in the sense of I have all of this knowledge and stuff available to me and I wanted to take advantage of it and learn as much as I could in the opportunities that I was given. That's a big part of the, for me too. When I first got started out and you guys were showing me all the paperwork, I mean, on some level I was like, okay, this is a lot to learn. But I also didn't expect, like, oh, you're going to know this within a week or you need to figure all this out before you start. Because there's no way you can do enough trainings to just know. Right. You just have to do the sessions. Like, you just have to start doing the work. And you just start to know it as you go. You start to memorize it as you go. Like, I went into it with that attitude, and I felt like it went really well. Just well, being patient with myself. That And you never know exactly what's coming through your door either. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a... Form 45 that says you have a substance abuse client or a mental health client. And the next thing you know, they're doing coke and meth on the weekends and like, oh, by the way, I don't just have bipolar. I'm this and this and this. And so you're like, all right, you just have to embrace it and then, you know, handle the situation for what it is. Yeah. See, so it had to be adaptable. Absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> there's there's a lot of structure that you have to be adaptive within that structure. Like there's a lot of paperwork and protocol and follow this standard and this rule and, and, and all these different things. And, but then like when you're dealing with a person that might fall well outside the structural box that the, you know, the contract puts them in that, I guess that's where, that's where these skills as a therapist comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know what, what's, uh, has there been anything awkward for you? I guess I'm kind of leaning this towards, you know, the, the conversations that you have in this field are pretty atypical. You know, it's not, not all the time that you have conversations about pornography, for instance, in, in day-to-day operations. How's that been for you? Yeah, well, and if anybody's listening to this for the first time, our, our, our basic, I mean, we specialize working with high-risk sex offenders in the community, inpatient and outpatient as well. So you have a handful of those clients, I but do. then you also... Are, are kind of the key point person for the mental health and substance use contract for our federal federally indicted clients as well. Correct. Right. So as far as awkwardness, um, I would definitely say it's started with my sex offender clients. As far as the mental health substance abuse clients, um, everything was pretty much I had, had I had expected from past experience. I had never worked with sex offenders um, going through the treatment program. So having to um, embrace myself, I guess, in a sense of not knowing exactly what I was going to be hearing and encountering in the sense of 
what their charges are. And that was a whole learning curve on its mm-hmm. own is, you know, learning what different charges are and then what that entails or what they could have done that led up to that. Um, and then I've really had to learn basically to control my facial expressions mm. and different things. So <laughs> like that you, way you were going to crack up while they're talking about <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. well, or some- show like discuss, I guess, or something, but yeah. just, you know, a matter of, um, making sure the client does not feel judgment or, you know, any sort of disgrace, I guess, in a sense of, oh, man, what's she thinking? Actually, I had a client even today that was just like, I was reading a letter that he had given me and he was like, I was trying to read your facial expressions through the whole thing and I couldn't do it. You just don't have any. And it's like, well, I've mastered that skill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, there's something to be said about that too. I mean, because um, like you, you know, you shared with me one time that sometimes clients really appreciate that, that you, that when, um, some really hardcore information is shared. And usually this is when they're looking for some sympathy that you show some of that, you know, that you humanize yourself, which I, I do think has a lot of value. Um, when it comes down to any type of reinforcement of shame or anything like that, that they may be feeling, I think the the non-judgmental approach is really important. I mean, I, and I'm used to it now, you know, I mean, uh, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I think you become numb to a lot of the, some of the things that, you know, you have to read through. Like the other day I was reading through some charges about, um, some child pornography and I was reading through the images. And if you ever read some of those, it was, you know, horrific. Um, but I mean, I still, that we talked about this on a previous podcast where I have to have this kind of, uh, dispassionate compassion for this individual that I'm working with. And that's the only way I can really do that. And the non-judgmental approach is very, you know, motivational interviewing based. It helps me kind of get along and join with the client to be able to assist them. Because if I do show a lot of, dis, you know, disgust or disdain, regardless of how I think about this, and I can maintain, th- and I think if you're outside of this, sometimes people make the mistake of, you know, we're on board with these type of behaviors. We're not by any stretch, but we're trying to help them get to a point where they're no longer engaging in these behaviors. But if we're being judgmental, they're just going to close off. They're not going to want to talk to us about these things. I mean, do you change up your approach a lot when you work with them in that regard? Well, I guess what, what I was going to say to what you're referring to is as far as facial expression. Yeah. Um, early on, like, especially probably when I was an intern myself, I, I might've talked about this on another podcast. Like I, I, I was actually, it wasn't so much disgust that I had to rein in. It was actually, an unfounded fear for my own personal safety, you know, and uh, like it, 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 it was a bit due to some of the, you know, the ideas about sex offenders that are out there as well as maybe some of the buildup that, you know, people that I was going to school with were telling me like, Oh, you're going to be working, you know, and I, I didn't know I was going to be working with sex offenders until literally I was at the halfway house and they handed me a manual and said, you're teaching sex ed, ready, set, go. And, you know, <laughs> off to the races there I am now I'm, you know, I'm working with sex offenders and like, so for me again, it, I, I had to temper my reactions and up front, it was using the poker face type thing. I had to just, you know, blank, fl- blank, blank face it and not show any real reaction. And then what I've kind of figured out over time, once I have, you know, again, for better or worse, like Mace is saying, gone numb to it, uh, I, I use what's called like kind of like conscious use of self. It's a term that one of my professors coined. Or I don't know if he coined it, but 
I learned it from him, conscious use of self. And so there's going to be, there's going to be times when a reaction is needed. You know, it, it could be a, a sympathy reaction or, or there's times where the client will have done something or violated a boundary or a certain thing. And they, they kind of need to see that what they're talking about, um, but it, it might not be the most socially appropriate thing. And so I'll, I'll sometimes allow myself to react naturally, but it's, it's conscious. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally allowing for my reactions to, to be part of the intervention with the client. But I, it took me a while to get to where I felt comfortable doing that. Uh, I, I had to go the poker face route up front too. Right. And I would say like, I mean, what Mace said where we're not, you know, saying that these behaviors are acceptable or anything because they're not by any means, but you almost normalize it in the sense of it's normal as we hear this a lot. So you giving them, you know, when they start questioning and holding back, you know, saying something like, you know, I've heard this before. I've heard that before. It kind of normalizes that for a client. And I have found then they're more, you know, willing to go forth with whatever the topic may be instead of holding back. Oh, beautiful. How is that? So, I I mean, I really, I like that um, one of the things you mentioned was um, the the idea that you're uh, like kind of just getting into a full-fledged as an intern. And I think as a new intern, this might be something that you ought to consider is working with a, this, a population that's really dynamic and, and difficult at times. I mean, sometimes people just aren't cut out for it, for sure. Knowing those boundaries are important. But how do you feel like that's helped you develop clinically? It just, I'm taking on as much as I possibly can and learning along the way. So earlier you had mentioned, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to try to pretend like I knew what I was doing. There's a lot of these things. And this is a huge mistake for me sometimes is is I, I like to assume that everybody knows what I know. And then I get frustrated when they don't do it. And then so I have no patience for it. And I, it's a huge, that's why I defer to Jeff some, a lot of the times. I'm like, Hey, you handle this. <laughs> Cause not, I just don't, I, I, I sometimes don't recognize it a lot. And then, um, I simplified in my own mind, but I think as an intern, um, you know, I very much valued that as, as I'm going to take on as much as, I mean, when I interned too, I had more than, more than normal caseload. I was working 50 plus hours a week. I had a full caseload working with really dynamic clients, and I think it helped me in the long term develop. How's it? How do you feel like it's helped you develop as a clinician? Um, I feel like that just kind of hitting the ground running and taking on the caseload that I have has actually made me um, more diverse and also like a stronger clinician in the sense of I've got such a well rounded base of clients right now. You know, it's kind of a third essay, a third mental health and a third, you know, sex offenders. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a lot of balance there, but by taking on more, I feel I've exposed myself to different situations, different, you know, each client has different criteria. And as far as that goes, um, there's a lot of common sense too, Mm -hmm. that comes into play Mm -hmm. in this position of being an intern and just working with clients and stuff, because you can't, you know, scream for help every 10 minutes you're in a session because you just kind of have to learn as you go. Although there is a, there is a level of humility in you that I, that I really think a lot of people can learn from. So you're saying I have a third substance abuse clients, a third sex offenders, a third, just straight up mental health. I mean, it's almost like if somebody came in to you and said, Hey, I've got depression. I'd be like, come on now. Like, (laughs) 
get, get out of my office. <laughs> actually, Jeff <laughs> like, and I want some real problems here, you know. <laughs> Jeff and I actually joked about that when I first came on to Alpha as an intern, and I think I had been in for like it was well, I started in September, so it was like thirty days when I was working had been working independently, and he had just kind of checked in with me to be like, all right, hey, you know. Let's be real here. How's this really going? Yeah. And it was just kind of like, well, the 16-year-old that won't make her bed anymore is no longer an issue. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, exactly. Well, and this is this is where um, you, you've never really been afraid of asking questions. and But I, I think you have a lot of patience with those questions. So, it, it, I mean, you know, I think having a level of humility is really important. Admitting when I just don't know the answer to this and then learning from that and adapting to that. Um, has been really one of the things I think that I've seen with you is you ask, you learn, and then you usually don't ask again because now I've I've been able to incorporate this. You know well, what I mean? And just even I try to use my resources that you guys have given me in the sense of like Slack. A lot of therapists ask the same things over and over. Sometimes, if you just go back and you know try to look up the question and different things, a lot of times those resources is, are there. That is probably ninety yeah. percent of the <laughs> job here. Just, <laughs> just look around on Slack for a minute. I almost so, guarantee you will find the answer. Almost guaranteed. I, I think we got a pool now for when you hire somebody new. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh, how often you have to post the parameters of treatment. <laughs> <laughs> right. I did have yeah. to ask him for those once because they got delivered deleted from my computer and I for some reason I don't know what I was looking for if I could not find the documents I asked mm. Jeff will you send those to me again well, well to your credit that's happened one time <laughs> well one thing one thing Jeff and I really despise hearing come out of our mouths is the term figure it out right I don't like saying that because Jeff and I have been put in some really hard situations <laughs> as clinicians that were legit impossible and we were told figure it out and I really resent that. And so I I have myself abstained from saying that deliberately. But sometimes I'm really like, oh, man, you really just got to figure it out. It's almost like we were burned so bad that the actual there is an appropriate use of that phrase. And there's yeah, a lot of times absolutely. where we can use it. And we just don't because <laughs> we got told that so much. Yeah. So a different perspective on that coming from an intern, though, is I don't despise figure it out because you've pushed me to use my resources to try to find the answers without just being told because I do think some people get extremely lazy mm -hmm. and just are like well I can just ask it and the answer will be right there but if you figure it out you 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 find stuff along the way to support whatever there's you're a, trying to figure out there's a nice way to say that too I usually I usually like to do the I don't know. What do you think you should do? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do with clients, bro. <laughs> you know? That's what we do yeah, with clients. Usually works. Man, your situation yeah. sucks. Yeah. But, uh, what do you, you think you, you should find, do? You can't find that on Slack. I, I don't know. What do you think you should do? I that, should probably search for it. Ah, that though, try it. That's a... I like hearing that from you. I mean, that's, that's encouraging hearing that as an intern coming from you because... Um, I, I guess in a way we almost subsidize that, like the the dependence of Slack. So I'm in the middle of a session, and and for those of you who are listening to this, sorry, we've referred to Slack a couple times. This is just kind of an online uh, gives us the ability to communicate very quickly with one another while we're in a session. We can ask questions, and everybody's connected to it. So almost inevitably, somebody's online at any given time, they can respond to these things. And it's just a communication network where we can pass 
I recommend it for anybody. This is a free plug for Slack, obviously. And it's HIPAA protected, so any of the client communications on there is totally legit. But back to that, I I mean, it's encouraging to hear that, that that's how you view it. Because I feel like in that regard, maybe we subsidize it a little bit. We subsidize like the need that, okay, I don't really need to learn this because I'm just going to ask somebody and it's going to happen. And then, um, and Dude, then I, we're enablers, bro. But yeah, but then I can't get frustrated when, when people ask, I'm like, wait a minute, we went over this already. Why are they asking again? Um, and, and it, but I'm like, well, because you keep telling them the answer, you dummy. Like that's part of the, part of the reason. So it's good to hear that independently you're saying, I'm going to learn this all on my own, figure out my own resources. There's a lot of, you know, um, I don't know. And I think that speaks to, you know, where you've been able to kind of get so far, um, in these things. And, and that's good for interns to know. I, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> it's, um, cause how old are you, Tiffany? I know you're not supposed to ask ladies that, right? I'm let me, hold on. Let me, ba- let me ballpark it. <laughs> 22. There you go. <laughs> 35. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So you're, our, you're our age then. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, um, I think about, are we technically, are we millennials? I, yeah, no, techni- no technically no, we are. No. We're no. actually the Oregon Trail it. generation. Hey, that's we're, a cool game. Dude. I know. Yeah. That right? See, yeah. We're the Oregon Trail. Look it up. It's dysentery. It's thing. Yeah, like no matter what, you die from cholera. <laughs> How do I avoid that? Yeah. yeah. You try to go across that, that, that river, no matter what, you sink. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. You're like, well, how do I beat it? Yeah. <laughs> You remember that? But you were always so excited to play when you'd go into the computer room <laughs> oh. and you'd see Oregon Trail loaded up. You just up. wanted to go hunting. That's this, yeah. all you wanted to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd do so fast on my my multiple, multiple Jesus, times tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just so I could yeah. play Oregon Trail. But um, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know. There's... I think sometimes when I see um, students, and I work a lot with student interns, not just I, – I don't de- – Jeff primarily does the supervision here. I don't deal a lot with the interns here on, on a supervision level. This, the ones that I do – man, I just – I feel that uh, – brats is usually how I like to describe it. I just don't – entitled brats sometimes is how I feel about this. Like there's an expectation that you're going to do everything for me. And the idea of hard work and the grind is just, it doesn't exist anymore in a lot of ways, I feel. I don't know what's, if we're missing something and if, and if that's part of that generation. I saw this thing about um, one of my one of my friends that I work with, one of my colleagues, showed me this video on millennials and how to like survive them in the workplace and all this stuff about mm. people. Like until this year, this year, so I've never heard of, I need to take a mental health day. What the hell is a mental health day? I've never even heard of that before in my life. Does that mean I need to sleep in and wear my pajamas all day? Because that's what I'd do. Well, our generation just, you called in fake sick. Yeah, I need a day off. I feel stressed out. It's becoming yeah. a very common excuse in oh, the workforce so because well you can't combat that like Wait, if, you, oh if you're sick oh you can come in tough oh, yes. it out I need mental health I need a mental health day if you if you say like we screw you or whatever then you're opening the door like oh you don't think I should take care of my mental health the weird thing is though is is if you've earned it just tell me Mace I'm not coming in shove it like if you've earned it I, I just I need a day off hey I need a day off totally. Like, like yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to question that and I I don't need an excuse. I need no excuse. Go it's meant to hit Yeah. Three. If you if you go snowboarding, awesome. Like I I couldn't care less about why the day you're taking off. Like I mean, you know what I mean? Unless it's putting other people out and you need some assistance or whatever. But if you have paid time off, 
take that. I don't need to hear that, you know, I don't know, the stars aren't aligned correctly or something or, so, like, or you need, I need a mental health day. I don't know why, why that's a thing. So it's good. It's refreshing sometimes, I think, as an intern to kind of, I, I, as you're going into these things, there's a lot of value to be had in, I think, the behavioral health field. If if you're coming into this, there's a lot of people that um, are not like that. They're not grinders. And in a lot of ways, you can shine really fast if you have that mentality. If you're just willing to work hard and, and do the things you're supposed to do. Like some of these expectations sometimes are just beyond me, but... People don't, don't want to work. They want to shift responsibility. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. So, or they just or they just aren't good at organizing it so they can get it done efficiently. So then I think they feel like things get put off and put off, and this huge pile of paperwork gets where it's building up behind them, and then they feel overwhelmed. Whereas opposed, I think everyone has to find it in their own way. But that's one thing I've liked that this job has taught me is getting things done like in a certain order efficiently. So when mm-hmm. your client's done, you know, X amount of paperwork's done and it's not all piled up at the end of a oh, shift. Oh, man. I Cause love that. Because that, that. that becomes a nightmare fast if you let it. Like, things will back up. Right. Quick. It's just easier to do it with the client there in front of you mm-hmm. and during that session time, and then you're just done. And then when it does come time to submit it, it's a matter of just going through, looking for the details, mm-hmm. you know, dotting the I's yeah. and crossing the T's, and then... It's a lot easier, you know, when you're looking at the 10th of the month or whatever it Mm. is. And I try to submit my stuff, of course, like a week in advance. That way they can get back to me in time if it just pays off. Otherwise, you're scrambling. Right. I've definitely had those months. Yeah. Do do you guys think that millennials, that's like a real thing? Or is that just kind of like we're kind of old now and so are the grumpy old men talking crap on the young generation? No. That's happened forever. No. Like, what's the, like, what do you think's legit in terms of the critique that, the younger generation perspective interns are going to be coming into alpha maybe one day. Like what, like how, how real is that versus us just being crotchety old men, you know? Well, I'm 36. I I don't know if that qualifies me to be a crotchety old man. Mm. I don't think you're ever too young to learn the value of hard work. You know, I mean, and that's some old man shit you're saying. Oh my goodness. I mean, (laughs) I agree with you. But only an older person would know that really. (laughs) (laughs) I'm agreeing with what you're saying, but that's some old man stuff, dude. (laughs) Well, I guess the, the idea, I don't know, man, it, it's just, um, you know, it, so I, I, it goes back to when we were first getting into this and, um, maybe it was the second podcast we ever did. And I was asking you about your experience at the university of Utah. Now, nothing about that, nothing against that program or anything. But when I get into, first of all, I mean, a university anyway, there's going to be some, um, I don't know, some liberal philosophies in academia. Okay. Socially, I think all that's perfectly appropriate. You know what I mean? Like there's, Things I just, I mean, why even argue about some of those things? It's like obvious, like, yeah, duh. Okay, obviously. Um, But then along comes with that a lot of these um, expectations, you know, that come along with some of these things that if you're learning about the, you know, the idea that I'm going to get a master's level clinician coming in and having to do hard work, sometimes I think that's resisted because then on the other end of this about, um, I mean, and I'm not trying to sound like some right-wing nut or anything like that but nobody owes you anything when you come out of master's like you get a master's degree i mean unfortunately therapists are a dime a dozen these days they Mm. really are 
Good therapists are not. They they are few and far between. But to have a CMHC or an LMFT or an LCSW or an LOLPC or whatever whatever the <laughs> the, the, the the initials are after your name, again those those don't dictate anything. I mean, nobody owes you anything, especially in the field of behavioral health. I mean, until we start refining the way we do things and you get hard workers. Which I think, if you're a hard worker, that's actually a benefit because it's so easy to shine when you have so many people who just expect things to come, you know, their way. Sh- shining in a sea of mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, you're talking about, you know, maybe kind of the mindset that some people might have in getting a master's degree <clears throat> and then feeling as though that's the finish line and not expecting an additional hard work. And one thing that we've talked about on here a few times is. Uh, the same problem happens when people get their license. So if you're, if you don't know how the mental health field works, you know, I mean, you're, when you go to graduate school, a master's degree, and you, you have to do a, an internship placement program, which is what Tiffany's doing with us. And then after you graduate, you have to take a big nasty test and work 4,000 hours under somebody else's license, do this, that, and the other. And then eventually you can become a licensed clinical social worker or, what does CMHC stand for? Whatever. Licensed mental health counselor. Okay. That CMHC. Yeah, yeah, C, <laughs> there's a C uh, licensed marriage. Anyway, like well, eventually guy. after doing a whole bunch of school and a whole bunch of hours and a whole bunch of tests, you become licensed. And that's another finish line. It's a false finish line, but it's, a, it's, it's uh, a lot of people kind of feel like they've, they've reached the summit and now they can kind of coast clinically. And, you know, I, I got my, L my license in 2009 and wow if I if I sit back and reflect on if I if I'd have stopped my learning there or at least not really pushed myself and Mace man you've you've pushed me and driven me to really learn a lot too but man if I if I'd have if I'd have tapped out in 2009 and just sort of coasted on my uh, rested on my laurels I, I wouldn't be you know an eighth of the clinician that I am today and I'm not like the, the idea of a finish line sucks, you know, like, so like Tiffany, I mean, I don't have to tell you this cause you're obviously got the right mindset, but I mean, uh, when you're done with your internship, like your, your question is like, what's next, you know, what can I learn next? That, and that, that's what would be good for you and any prospective interns that have yet to come aboard. What's next now? What, what do I learn now? What's the next thing? Because, you know, our, our last couple of podcasts, we've talked about outcome measures and evidence-based practice. Like what, what we're learning right now, uh, will, I mean, I hope it's not obsolete in a few years, but it's going to change. Oh yeah. Well, we, I was going to say, adapt. It's, it's, in a sense, quote unquote, the homework never stops. So you're always going to be learning or uh, you should always want to be learning. You know, just, right. Hey, I figured it all out. I'm good. Let's, let's go. Just like going out to uh university of cincinnati picking up like a new mm-hmm. curriculum had anyone that was developing that curriculum just decided they were done that yeah. curriculum never would have happened you know what i mean just basing that off of research and being open to new ideas and trying new approaches right yeah a lot of that comes from just asking questions though being open to somebody else's input well and that's the humi- that's the humility side of this i mean the, the I think the biggest fault sometimes, especially with a soft science like in behavioral health, is not having humility. For when something else comes along, and so if you get out of graduate school, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you think like you know everything, and you feel like you're ready to save the world, and you and you're genuinely interested in doing this. But then, when you get into a field like this, 
and it's so dynamic with like the forensic client population. You're dealing with POs. You're dealing with all kinds of different aspects of this. It's like, oh yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about how to help this client. And all the traditional ways of doing therapy up until this point just aren't going to work. And particularly if I've kind of bought into this whole, um, you know, we 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 need social justice and 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 nothing against social justice. I'm not really knocking that. I'm just saying if I start to believe those things apply to me too then there's like this idea that you know the world owes me something and and it doesn't like you get into this field and i think you still have to work really hard to get noticed or you just fall into that sea of mediocrity right which tiffany hasn't she's done really well thanks yeah to add to that too for any future interns um you don't learn shit in grad school I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I've been fortunate to have a lot of uh, life experience as well as I've had some amazing mentors that are LCSWs through my past career fields of working with different counseling agencies. And I've worked in the behavioral health system of the public school system and different things that have kind of helped tailor my education, my experience. But when you graduate, you don't, you're not given an LCSW toolbox that's like, here you go, here's your little toolbox, you know, to go help you along your way. You learn that through experience. You learn that through, you know, your supervision and actually working with clients and different things. You don't learn that in grad school. I used to resent that. I, I, I remember, you know, going to class after class in graduate school and be thinking to myself like, well, okay, what do I actually do? do though it's like the okay. micro mezzo and macro oh, and, the, and those words i have not heard since i left grad school <laughs> yeah yeah oh god now you hear masturbation pornography yeah fantasies. the real stuff <laughs> the important things in life you yeah know? how is that how is that a conversation like when you're a female i mean like as a guy i just i mean it's it's one of those – I always kind of play, play it off. I'm like, it's one of these things the guys never talk about, but all of us do it. Let's talk about masturbating. You know, and I kind of mm-hmm. just segue and normalize it. But, like, it's got to be different with being a female. I mean, how's that conversation go down in your sessions? Well, for me, it's pretty routine now. I mean, you know, I have 30 different dudes, and it's just like, how many times do you masturbate a week? You know, do you feel your sex drive is normal? I think it catches them more off guard coming from me than <laughs> yeah. it does me asking them at this point. Kind of like, whoa, what's, she said that? What's your turnaround on that in terms of answering? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, nine times a day. <laughs> My favorite part is doing the sexual risk assessment when I ask a, you know, a guy like, you know, how do you rate your sex drive compared to men your age? Oh, it's average. Well, what makes you say that? You know? Oh, because I, you know, I have sex three to five times a week. You have sex three to five times a week. You know, yeah. so you're looking around your computer. Going, okay. Yeah. And then you get like down and there's the later questions that, you know, resort back to that. And it's like, well, just a little bit ago, you told me you had sex three to five times a week. Yeah. So I do know that there's some pressure, you know, that's it's kind of like breaking that ice and basically calling bullshit and then like pressure to like like they feel compelled to impress you with their like exactly how big of a stud they are yep well, <laughs> i think know? i think with that i had a hard time the first time oh i looked God. at our intake assessment for you know because like jeff was saying when we when i first came on we got the federal contracts so i was thrown into like hey here's 40 clients call them all right now and almost all of them are federal <laughs> so I, I, all of this was i got the same uh, list yeah all, all of this yeah. all of it was intakes too so i was doing this intake thing over and over so i'm getting the 
paperwork emailed to me and I, I pull up the intake thing and I'm looking at these questions. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I don't want to ask people that. Like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> it's funny. None of them even bat an eye. I'm just like, how often do you masturbate? They're like, oh, I don't know, twice a week. Like, do you ever have sexual thoughts that upset you? Oh yeah. How'd you think about this? And I, I was surprised how just open they were, like how casual they were right. about it, which made me feel casual about it. And then seriously, after the first week, I didn't care at all well, about that's, asking those questions. That's my experience too. I, I don't think I've ever, at least, Noticeably, had somebody try to impress me though with how often they have, and sex. no one was like really offended. Like, I don't by any know of the if questions. it's so much impressed, but just like they don't want to admit, like, oh, I don't have sex every week. Oh, okay, that probably is actually a lot closer. Yeah, to it's the, more the of the they just don't want to admit the reality of of the situation. But you know, as Justin was saying, you know, I took the federal lists as well, and. Most of those guys have been in prison and they're used to talking about this and dealing with it and have been mm-hmm. through treatment. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of rolls off their tongue, you know, with normalcy, which made it easier, especially as an intern, you know, just asking those. I think when we did our interview to decide if I was going to get my uh-huh. internship here, you know, you were just like, so how comfortable are you going to be asking dudes how often they masturbate? And I'm like, <laughs> That'll be cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's one of my screening questions. Yeah. That's a, man, the screening questions we have to ask interns around here. It's so weird. It dude. is so weird. I think I feel weirder about asking the interns this stuff than I do about the asking the actual clients themselves how often these things happen. Like But yeah. you know what? Like there there's gonna be people that aren't cut out for this line of work. No. You know, no, so there just aren't. Yeah. You might be listening you, you, the listener, might be that person. And that's good if you can recognize it ahead of time rather than getting deep into a career or even just deep into an internship and realizing, oh, this is I can't do this. Yeah, there's plenty of things I know I wouldn't want to do in the in the field of social work. Yeah. So, starting out not knowing about this, I wouldn't have picked that I would have liked this, but it ended up being one of those things you just try and you like it a lot. Yeah. But I mean, I think if you're, if you're miserable, like I, you know, like I think, uh, I don't know. Grad school is not entirely useless. I went to, I went, I remember I was in there one time and, uh, in there one time I was in a class. And, <laughs> um, I was in a class and one of the questions was what can you identify a population that you just wouldn't want to work with? And one of the populations I just would not want to work with is something like hospice. Like I just could not see myself doing that. And so if I ever was down and out and had to take a hospice job, like I would not be very good for that agency. <laughs> nothing against nothing. I'm saying like Doesn't if it, someone you know do that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that, that it's a bad gig. You have to be down and out. To no, get no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it's like it I'm saying if like that was the only thing that was open and that, that's I had to take it. Like I wouldn't be very effective for that agency, and I'd be miserable working wow. at an agency for that. And if I and if you're and if you just identify like you said, I'm just not I'm not uh, amenable or compatible with this field. Well, good for you and that agency when you decide to move on, or, yeah. you know, or just don't even get into it in the first place. It's good to kind of identify those things. If you just, if you're, if you come in here, you resent the clients, you hate the stuff they talk about, you don't really feel good. I mean, you got to be able to kind of separate those things. I mean, having a conversation with a client about how often he masturbates to pornography is not as easy as it sounds like, and sometimes can be really 
a really kind of crazy conversation that you're getting into them with and right. yeah, really dynamic conversation. But so if you're not ready for it, then you're not cut out for it. Oh, okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, knowing your that, boundaries. That sounds super obvious, but I think what happens is, is when people kind of get a career path started out, they feel like they're already, they've already invested time and effort into this specific area. And so they just kind of keep rolling with it. And, uh, this, I don't know. This was several years ago. Um, I don't want to give too much identifying information about who this person was, but another fellow therapist was specifically referring to uh, adult sex offender clients saying, I can't even stand to look at their faces when they talk to me. I get sick. She was saying this in a treatment team and like, uh, and then main, I mean, as far as I know, she's still doing this as a career, which I don't get, you know, it's, it's, it, she's just for her own personal happiness. I don't, you know, I don't know how you could do this day in, day out and be a happy person, but also the disservice that she's doing to the clients. And she's clearly not bringing everything she can to the table. She's, if it's, if she has, if her job has turned into the type of job that everybody dreads, you know, the job that let's well, lose, lose for yeah, everybody. It yeah, is, it is. And again, but I think a lot of it, I think it happens to a lot of people because again, yeah. they invest time and effort and money in, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going down this direction. Like, you know, Tiffany, you've got, I mean, you're going to have a job with us when your internship's so very easy. No problem. Maybe. But like, but maybe if you don't like, <laughs> if you don't like fingers crossed, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll see what you do. <laughs> you don't screw up and you should be working for us. Um, but like maybe, maybe you'll figure out, maybe you'll decide that you don't want to do this. And if you come and tell me that one day, you know, and we offer you a job, you're like, you know what? It's been a good internship, but this isn't my career field. Awesome. You know, like it'll suck for a minute. Cause like we get to have to figure out what to do, but I would so much rather have you do that. And you know, any intern listening to this, do that rather than. Well, wait, we'll, we'll still, we'll murder her, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, I was thinking so, about the last intern we buried. In the back uh, of the building. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that poor thing. <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's made up, by uh, the way. That's yeah, for entertainment purposes only. Fake news, son. Yeah. Just, just don't dig too deep. In the yeah. Lot. That's true. But now I, uh, it is, it, it's important to know. And the, so I think humility is a huge piece of this, but then also, I mean, the, the drive of this, I mean, why not? I think you can easily get noticed and move up really quickly in terms of your recognition and your, and not only that, like your personal development, if you're just willing to do the grind, like that's it, just be willing to come in there and get to work, you know, like if you're a full caseload, I've been people, man, I'm feeling burned out. I got to work till seven. I'm like, what? I need that mental health day, Mace. (laughs) Dude, like I work with people sometimes and they're like, I got to, I got to work two nights a week. I'm like, what wait what how late do you work they're like well i gotta i gotta be here till seven i'm like what dude like my last session ends at 10 30 tonight and then i and i started my first one at eight this morning like are you Mm -hmm. kidding me well i mean as it just i'm not saying people don't have boundaries of course you need to have boundaries and everything like that but why not take as much learning as you possibly can in this and not make excuses for why why you just can't be a good worker. You well, it, help, I mean? it helps that you like what you do, too. Oh, yeah, totally. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this position, especially as an intern, um, it may not be for everyone. But at the same time, I really would push and suggest that future interns keep an open mind 
to it just because um, I've had some discussions in my classes this last term, and it's probably been some of the most impactful discussions where I really opened other students' eyes of looking at it from the offender's perspective and then what they actually have to go through and not just the stigma that associates with um, sex offenders in society. But in doing that, um, it made a lot of different students be like, I don't know, could I work with that population? Or And some of them were like, no, that's not something that I can do. And they're the ones choosing hospice, Yeah, you know. But then there were students that was like, oh, I never thought of it like that, you know. And because they can work in jails, they can work in prisons. But to work with this population specifically, it really just made a lot of students think. It must have been a hell of a conversation because your professor brought it up to me mm-hmm. during that, during our uh, meeting with the professor. <laughs> He's so like, must have been, is it he or she? She. She's all, she's all. So Tiffany took a really weird approach. She was trying to open the class's eyes to take the perspective of a sex offender. And she just showed porn for 20 minutes. It was, you know, it was a weird classroom experience. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we, we like to look at diverse approaches, and so we didn't shut it down. But <laughs> And we all felt very connected with one another afterwards. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> it was yeah. actually one of the most, um, like I said, impactful conversations that took place all term. What started it was I did research on social policy on the sex offender registry. And actually how much evidence is not supportive of the effectiveness of the sex offender registry but at the same time it's a risk the community's not willing to take in eliminating it either and that just kind of streamlined the conversation from there and it just kept rolling and rolling and it was because we have to do video conversations because it's all online Mm -hmm. and so um, it was probably the longest topic thread in the voice thread section of our course. Wow. Yeah, that's mm. that's cool, though. I'm glad people are open to having that discussion because the registry, um, I mean, it's one of those it's one of those things that you think is is helpful, you know, like it, you it feels think, good. Yeah, it's like I feel good knowing that old, you know, Jimmy is down the street. Poor Jimmy. Jimmy <laughs> is down the street. He's, he's always so getting screwed over. But, so I, but I always wonder, okay, knowing that he's there, how does that, how does that keep you safe? How it's does a feel keep good. You? It's, yeah. it's exactly. It's just like a band-aid over a wound in the sense of the community has the right to know that this is, you know, person committed this and is living down the road. But actually, if it prevents them from offending again or what measures of safety is not Right, but how many documented incidents have there ever been that the registry has stopped somebody from offending? There isn't. That was the whole point of my my conversation. I mean, it was just basically that, that there's no you know, solid evidence that it is effective in preventing anything. It's more of just the feel good that the guy down the street knows that he's living next to a sex offender. Well, the, the, the only thing in my estimation that it could lead to is that person, um, not maybe being attacked physically, but I think more so just be feeling attacked in general because of the neighborhood that they live in. Like if people, if people know that they're there, um, it's easier to look at that person as the boogeyman and that, and, and I try to counter that a lot. I mean, you, you have to look at the reason why people offend in the first place. I mean, if people are offending you, it makes perfect sense to them when they commit their offense. That's why they offended. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm just saying you have to kind of imagine a lifestyle in which offending sexually on a person, young or old, would make sense. 
most of us can't imagine that. Most of us can't have that level of empathy to try to understand what would have to be going on in your life in order to do that. Well, unfortunately, people have been there and done that. So how do we counter that? Well, I got to make a lifestyle incompatible with sexually reoffending ever again. So making a guy feel disconnected from their community and not valued and have no close neighborhood ties and put them on the outskirts, lonely, deprived, you know, just angry all the time. That That's not a recipe for a dude not reoffending. I mean, if anything, there should be an effort to try to help that person feel belong to a community. I'm not saying you got to go bake the guy cookies, but... You know, you know what I mean? Like the least you could do is leave them alone and let them do their thing. So I wonder what a middle ground would be there. Cause like if you were to take the devil's advocate approach of someone being a risk, you know, like, Hey, I want my kids at risk and I want someone at risk. Would it be maybe like if someone's a repeat offender, would they be on a registry? Like in an ideal world, like from our stance, like, what do you think? I think a middle ground would be, I think a registry makes sense in the right hands. I mm. think in if law enforcement were aware of a registry, um, I think it makes perfect sense because if you've done a behavior before, clearly you have, uh, you're much more likely to do that behavior again than somebody who's never done that, right? Mm. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that everybody's capable of all things all the time. But if I've done it before, clearly I have a much greater likelihood of doing it again. So it's not unusual for a, a, a police officer if there's a missing child in the neighborhood to check with that person. And I think if I'm out in the community, part of what we help our clients understand is that's expected. That's part of what's going on here. But again, that's limited to the police officers, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not harassment and it's not pitting me against my fellow community members of which now I belong. And I'm trying to, and I'm trying to gain some ground in, you know what I mean? To me, that's the middle ground. You know, I'd be, I'd be curious to know, uh, and you know, if any listeners want to write in or whatever. It's been a while since we've had a had that happen, but I want to know if you, as a member of the public, would be willing to give up the registry, knowing that it is not based in evidence and that it does not do what it's supposed to do, aside from maybe let you know who's in your neighborhood as far as at least who's been convicted, would you be willing to give that up knowing that uh, treatment professionals that have looked at the data and looked at the research and looked at best practice are saying that that neighbor of yours, Jimmy is less likely to screw up if he's not, if, if he's not feeling socially isolated and disconnected and like he might be the focal point of a witch hunt, would you be willing to give up the registry? You know, I, I, that, 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 that's kind of what I want to know. Uh, my, my, I suspect the answer is no. Um, I'm trying to think from the perspective of not a therapist, but, you know, maybe like a, like a dad or something in a neighborhood. And it's, I, I think I would kind of hold the position like, well, okay, well, what, whether or not it doesn't work on a large statistical level, I know that I'll keep an eye out for this guy and make sure my kids don't go over there. I'm assuming that might be the response, but again, it's just, we we have to be open to evidence just because evidence might you know on, on like a on a big level you know, like a macro level i want i didn't want to use that word cuz social <laughs> work <laughs> yeah yeah um you know evidence on a macro level uh doesn't necessarily mean that you personally you you the listener is going to impact you like maybe you will keep us an extra eye out but 
you know, just like we were talking about on the podcast with, uh, I think Jamie Newsom, you know, it's, it's not about what I think works or what I, my personal preference is. I look at the evidence and look at what best practices. And then I get to set my ego aside and say, okay, well, this is what's been proven to work. I guess I'll do this. And that's, that's what we do in this field. And so, you know, I mean, I, I guess as a member of the public, are you, are you willing to, are you willing to set aside what might feel good at what might feel like protection in favor of what actually works? What did some of the other students say? Well, to kind of bounce off of what you're saying right there, in my findings of what I did um, as far as research before recording my own video regarding the social policy of the registry is it was more of a tool of the feel good sense of they're able that person committed a crime against somebody. It was a level of protection that they knew that they could go to protect their kids because somebody who committed a crime against somebody lives down the street, Mm -hmm. they could go that effort, you know, they could put in the extra effort to making sure their kids don't go down that way or protecting their children from, you know, being another victim. Yeah. Well, so you're saying it feels good, but in terms of the actual protection, I mean, beyond what parents normally do to protect their children, Really, there's nothing. Oh no, be, there's no evidence. There's well, nothing. Well, it's the same right. idea as the Dare program. Like most, most, exactly. most, most parents, <laughs> if you ask them, "Hey, do, do you want to get rid of the Dare program?" No, I don't want to get rid of that. That's gonna. It's it not might, effective, yeah, but the kids well, love yeah, it. Yeah, dude, it, it makes us feel better. I don't know if it makes me feel better. If you, if you guys Google, well, if you know the reality of it, it should make you feel better. If but, you Google Dare D A R E Hot Pursuit. It has a video that these these cops did. I mean, nothing against those cops. You guys have great voices and everything, but it is the cheesiest video on the planet. And <laughs> I, I was reading about some of the effects of D.A.R.E. from the Surgeon General's report from 2017, and there was um, it made me look into a little bit more of the research. And some of the research said it actually um, had counter effects. Like kids started. Oh no! <laughs> like Jeez. like kids increased their drug use after the <laughs> D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> That seems like, like a good idea. I'll show you, Officer Bob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like um, yeah. I, well, I we mean, actually had Officer Bob in our little town that I went to in high school. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. I, I mean, it's we I, called him Babs. Babs, <laughs> yeah. hey Babs. Again, it's yeah. it, it's uh, it's one of those things that is. But well, same thing with the Dare program. The limitation, I guess, there is is if I'm going to give education to kids. Okay, good. You should. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I need to give accurate education. Part of that is, well, unfortunately, kids, uh, drugs temporarily make you feel awesome. And uh, that's going to be part of this. You know, can it lead you down a path of a lot of problems? You bet. Uh, How many of you are going to be addicted? Well, 1% of you, you know, so not that many of you. Um, And I think past a certain point, you can only teach them so much. You know, you start to get some real abstract, scientific, brain-based stuff and you're just not going to be hitting the mark instead it's 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 taught as you know it's all bad things and it's always going to be from some hooded figure down an alleyway (laughs) you know and the moment you smoke one joint by god within the next week you're jumping out a window you're going to be slamming black and jumping out a window (laughs) you know what i mean like it just it doesn't it doesn't compute very well and then kids learn over time 
that's a lie because, you know, homeboy in my classes, the star football player, he gets straight A's and he smokes weed every weekend with his buddies. Like, how does that work? They told me this is a lie and then I start doing it. And before I know, maybe I have some problems. But I think same thing over time, you know what I've noticed about the registry? I think people forget about it. I mean, if I look in my my neighborhood, oh my God, there's somebody living across from me who's a sex offender. I mean, three months from now, do you, th- what do you think of, do you think I'm like staking out their home? Like I got stuff to do in my own life. I'm not doing anything. And even our, even our clients, I think they bitch and moan about it initially, but over time I think they forget about it too. Let me, let me ask you this. What, uh, if I'm, I'm asking you to ballpark a number for me, how many, like what percent of your clients sexually offended on somebody in their neighborhood that they live in right now? Um, at the time of their offense, whatever their charge was, like, was it a neighbor kid? What percent of them was, was neighbor kids as opposed to, I mean, any, it's anybody else. Um, a neighbor kid, huh? Yeah. Somebody that the registry could conceivably, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, like, cause the, the registry is designed to keep neighborhoods safe so that when I see that the guy that lives three doors down is, you know, guilty of this charge. You know, that's the idea of the registry. So I keep my kids away. So when I guess in terms of like sexual offense rates, what I guess what percent of your clients have been offended on by, you know, the, 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 the guy at the end of the road. The, what, wait, which one of my clients have been the guy at the end like of the what, road? What percent? They just need clients? a registry for people to listen to Three Doors Down. <laughs> that way you know who to be friends I, what, with. What I'm trying to say is that most sexual offenses – are, are not outside of the home. Most aren't strangers. Most, yeah, I mean, it's we, not the stereotype. I would say, well, I have a lot of clients right now that are child pornography cases, and then I have a lot of clients who were I, I, kind of like mistaken identity cases. They didn't do very well vetting their sexual partners, mm-hmm. and, and these, these were you know, girls who were clearly underage, but they didn't do much homework to determine that and then they said well she lied about her age and we you know whatever that whole thing that whole song and dance mm-hmm. my client population right now maybe 10 15 percent of them are that that category that it's this was a neighbor person you know but i i think the narrative though because it is so sensational and scary and people pay attention to it is when that happens that's what gets reported dude nobody cares about a 20-year-old kid who thought he was hooking up with an 18-year-old that turned out to be 15. That dude, Nobody cares about that guy. That dude's on their registry, though. Exactly. He, I was just going to say, what's the percentage of that? That's, you yeah. know, and that's one thing I point out to people when they ask me, you know, what what are you doing for your internship? Or who are you working with? And it's like, no, you don't understand. There's a vast majority of people on the registry that are, you know, 20-year-old dude that hooked up with 17-year-old. You know, it's not all pedophile situations. It sounds like it, though. It like does. If I look, that's does. the stigma. If I, if I look up at that guy in, in my neighborhood, the registry is going to say un- attempted unlawful sexual contact with a minor. What that sounds like is that I did. I was the old creepy dude down the street who lured in some poor unsuspecting kid during Halloween and tried to do whatever to them, which is just not the case. Whereas you hear these stories later on and they're like, well, no, 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 man. I was 20, I was drunk, I was at a party, she said she was 18, I wasn't paying attention. Now, I'm not making excuses. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that the the charge that you're going to find 
under a uh, under a, you know a, a client's picture if I pull it up on the registry does not do a very good service for what actually happened. I mean, right. so if if the idea of risk need responsivity is what we do when tre- treating clients uh, at the here, here we go. I'm pulling out all the big social work words at the micro level. You know, maybe at like a a meso or a macro level, the risk need responsivity is well. Okay, how are we allocating our resources to combat this problem? You know, on an individual level, we we have treatment providers that work with these clients. You know, on like a little bit bigger scale at a community level, we have the we have the registry, right? But I mean, if we're talking about allocation of resources, if Mace's, you know, anecdotal estimation of 10 to 15% of his caseload is uh, people that actually did commit crimes within their neighborhood. It, is, is that the best use of our resources? Is there, it, and, and it's, well, it's not just for the client and helping them not hate their life because they, they feel like they're in a witch hunt, but also it, maybe there's a, a better way to spend taxpayer money in combating this problem. You know, and uh, I, don't, I think the registry falls short of that. I, I don't think it's based in evidence, which I don't know. That's it's. Uh, I guess we'll have to see what happens with it. But it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. No, I think people might, getting away from it too. I think no, it's never going to go away. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, you could <laughs> if you did a public poll. There's no way. And I think people have some really strong opinions. And I'm and I'm fine. Anybody listening to this who wants to weigh in, make a comment, I'd be fine to respond to it um and i'm i mean i'm i'm open to those opinions i'm just saying from our perspective i mean there's just no real effect to it i think it's hard to argue against somebody who says no i just feel better i mean really just playing devil's advocate again if you're saying as a father i feel better about it why i don't know i just do and that guy committed a crime and so you know what if he's gonna live in my neighborhood i deserve to feel okay about it Mm, i think you got a point i don't know to argue with i know it's it's (laughs) It's hard. To, what I what I do say is I worry sometimes about the effect of, you know, if I'm like, so one of the things we try to do, help these guys do is enter into like healthy relationships, right? You meet a girl um, that, yes, it, I mean, some of their social skills are so horrible. And if they even work up the courage or the bravery to ask a girl on a date, that's a huge step. And then if they get a yes, that's even, you know, bigger, right? Sometimes I feel like that Black Mirror episode with John Hamm walking that <laughs> walking that guy through yeah. his dating thing, oh, <laughs> talking yeah. in his he, ear. That was yeah, a great episode. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um, and I and so they take these, you know. And there's always this eternal question of when do I disclose my offense because she's going to figure it out anyway. And I mean, imagine, imagine, you know, uh, on the I don't know. Let's say you know they were able to take that girl out and. And they got a kiss at the end of the night or something like that. Normal, just guy and girl interaction or something like that. And so, like anybody, that girl goes home and Googles that guy and tries to find him on Facebook or something and think what pops up, right? Mm -hmm. And then what might go through that girl's mind about something like that, which is totally untrue given the context about, oh, my gosh, what's he trying to do? Is he... And, and what was he pulling his tricks on me or anything like that? You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. it gives the very wrong impression. And, and, um, and yeah, this is something really hard for them to disclose. And they're trying to move on. I mean, there are clients. And, and again, you can have an opinion about this as a parent, as a concerned citizen, that we should lock them up and throw away the key. 
And, if, and you know, if your child is a victim or if your family member is a victim and you feel that strongly about it, it's hard for me to say you're wrong. And, I mean, I'm not going to try to take that away from you. What I will say, though, is, unfortunately, that's not the reality. Okay? They're coming to you, our communities. It's it's happening. They're coming. So what are we going to do to make this as, as safe as transition for them as possible? And, and some of those things just are not effective for them. And sometimes we just got to check that and ask that question. Is this an effective measure to keep our community safe? If that's your objective, is this an effective measure? Feeling good about knowing where a guy is and not ever acting on that versus being militant against it and, and being, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, calling somebody up or doing something. That's, uh, that's kind of where it starts to cross some boundaries, which, which I'm just not comfortable with. I'm, I'm glad you actually said everything you just did because I, I've thought about how this, how people listening to this podcast might interpret what we're saying. And I, I, I could see how it might come across like we were, like we're maybe a little too sympathetic and not maybe seeing the big picture of people that actually have had to deal with the damage of sexual offense or just don't want to have to deal with the damage of sexual offense and hundred percent agree with, with what you're saying on that. And we're, we're, we're not blind to it. We know that it's awful. We know that it causes lifelong damage. We are trying to find the best way to deal with the surge of sex offenders in, or I guess convictions for sex offenses coming through the system. And like may said, the reality of it is they're coming to the community. So that that's why we, I guess, talk the way that we do. We, we definitely recognize and acknowledge the, the pain caused by sexual abuse. We work with the perpetrators of it and we just try to find the best practice for, for doing that. I, you know, taking on awesome interns like Tiffany's, uh, what keeps the, the lifeblood of this type of stuff going, you know, and I don't know. It, 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 it probably, there's going to be some people that just don't see it our way and that's, perfectly fine i i expect it and respect that Mm -hmm. yeah and there's and it's not sympathy so much as it's being realistic about it reality the problem is and here i mean so for for but (laughs) if i'm a father whose daughter has been molested or something you know god forbid Okay, his reality is just different than mine, you know, unfortunately for him and his daughter. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. And I wish that never happened. I really do. I wish I wish that we didn't have to deal with this stuff. I really, you know, but we have it's it's happening. It's one way or another. This is happening. And our our our, I think our our pledge is we will always have the most cutting edge evidence-based practice to reduce the likelihood of that ever happening again. We can't do anything that happened in the first place because, I mean, prevention in this field is, I mean, I don't know. It's not like you're holding uh, uh, seminars, you know, <laughs> like you posted on, on billboards. Hey, here's how not to be a sex offender. I mean, that, that just doesn't exist. You know what I mean? They're trying it on campuses, but that's about it, right? They're, they're trying. They're trying affirmative consent stuff right? because of a bunch of – I don't want to open a can of worms here. <laughs> another podcast. Another podcast. <laughs> uh, they're, um, I don't think what they're doing on campuses is bad. I think raising your standards of sexual behavior is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Vetting my partner before and determining – 
you know, is, is, is there a well-established relationship before I engage in, in, you know, having sex with you and, and, and whatnot? I think those are very good things. We're talking about, we're already acknowledging the, the only difference there though is we can learn a lot from college campus things. Some of the affirm, affirmative consent stuff is, is really problematic because, it, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of pretending that that's happening anyway, which college kids are not doing. But we're also dealing with the factor that everybody there is above 18 and has the legal ability to consent at this point. So beyond somebody being, you know, I don't know, too drunk or incapacitated to do this. I mean, we're talking about people who have really poor social skills with, with our population. People have really poor social skills sometimes or legitimate attractions towards children. And in a previous podcast, we were talking about some of the ideas of pedophilia and understanding that some guys, you know, even though that they do have that legitimate attraction towards children, they may not dig it. They may not. They may hate that quality about themselves, but we don't give them a very open forum to come and talk th- about that. And so, again, I'm not saying everybody needs to start having sympathy for sex offenders. It's well, I just recognize that's never going to happen. What I'm saying is being realistic about what's helpful and then understanding that and then letting people do their job and, and whatnot is, is the most effective thing that we can do. And Spot on. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. I, I, I take it we're going to be – we'll talk about pornography on another po- podcast. Oh, yeah. Tiffany, man, you totally messed up. Yeah. Why did you hog all the time? Our agenda here. Yeah. Jeez. I didn't Sorry, know you guys. did that with your, with your uh, class, though, about the sex offender registry. That's cool. Yeah, my professor brought it up to Jeff in one of our video conferences we had to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a really good conversation. It was really impactful. And do you change any minds? Um, I think I opened the door up to where students that had never thought about it because m- the majority of the people that are in my class are working in like hospice or hospitals or um, crisis centers or you know a completely different line of work. So yeah. I think it just kind of you know, caught their attention of, cause you have to constantly, um, those people that are familiar with online schools, you go in every week and you comment on the video, you know, subject or whatever. So mine was just kind of out of the box compared to the yeah. elder generation. What a weird conversation. <laughs> you like, it, like, Hey, did you see your clients this week? Yeah. I had one graduate. It was great. He was hey, moving on. How about your clients? Yeah. I had a few die. What? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, good for anybody who does hospice work, but I know. Cause actually my comment to one of the students this week was like, Oh, it really sucks that it has to get reported to the state in order for your supervisor to actually implement a change. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like for real, you know, this line of work is way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. No, we're, well, we, we really appreciate the work that you do here. And, um, and plus I think it's, I think it's more important. I mean, if you're a female, um, intern in this field, um, I cannot tell you the value of, of the, of a client, a male client who may have, um, just misperceptions about females in general to have a really, you know, solid relationship with a, with an adult female that has nothing to do with sex and just all to do with professional, but also, you know, deeply meaningful relationship to which therapeutic relationships typically are they can help some of these guys in ways that we're just not quite able to reach them just through having that relationship oh yeah yeah that in and of itself becomes the intervention because females are objectified so much by our clients then Mm. i mean i just had one yesterday tell me that it 
has taken everything for him to build that female relationship without expecting some sort of sexual relation involved within it. And that, and that's something that like, if, if I were his therapist, like we could have a cognitive discussion about it, but it wouldn't really resonate with him the way that it has with him having to actively do that with you. Right. Yeah. And, um, again, I guess, well, uh, I was, I was going to say, if you, if you had any words to say about how to deal with guys that flirt with you and how, how you hold a boundary while not completely tearing them down. I don't know if you've I dealt with that yet. I haven't had okay. to really deal with it a whole lot. Um, I have had other therapists point out to me though, what's interesting is I treat all of my clients, you know, with humility, but with respect and I don't judge them based on why they're here or anything, you know, as far as that goes. I've got equality across the board, but I've had other therapists point out to me that clients behaviors like in the group room you know when i'm interacting with them in there and they're like they'll message me on slack afterwards and be like you know what's crazy to me is how negative they became when you left the room or how they started acting out when you left the room but the level of respect and you know how they were able to hold your behavior because i expect that from my clients and you know i mean i give them that respect they give me that respect back so i thought that was really interesting yeah it is yeah well, and that just goes to show, I mean, I, I think that if they, it might be even refreshing for them in some ways to see that kind of relationship with a female, you know, yeah. and it is, and bottom line, it is different. I mean, you know, it's hard and it's, I think we're limited, you know, we, when we get into conversation, cause we're dudes thinking yeah. about dude perspectives and stuff. I mean, it's just <laughs> dude perspective. <laughs> I mean, you just, it's a clinical term. Yeah. Like it, it experiencing was experiencing dude um, perspective. It was like it, when we had, uh, when we had, uh, J Wo on the podcast not too long ago and yeah. she was being able to give us some of these perspectives. Like that was really helpful because yeah, unfortunately we reach a level and we just, uh, it's probably a lot we miss. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I have dudes that come from your group on Sunday Yeah, and they'll be like, so May says this, blah, 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 blah. Can you give me a female perspective on that? <laughs> yeah. I am, a, I am 100% a dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's, what's the worst thing they've said that I've said in group? Oh, you're just dramatic. They, oh, don't, yeah, I, they I, don't say a whole lot. Like okay. everybody, I mean, as far as, I mean, I think you're a great facilitator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clients truly, it's like the May show. You yeah. know, they, when they go to group, nobody's ever said anything bad. They're just always like, he's so dramatic and he says blah 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 blah. what's the female take on this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do i don't know i I have a unique way of doing those things yeah it's fun though my groups are yeah it's a a show it is it is that's okay though it's i know even when i do my group usually that's when you come into the salt lake office Uh and we always have a moment oh Mesa's in the building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, last, last couple of weeks have been pretty good out there in Salt Lake. Yeah. We, I, but I, I, I think that clients, but some of, but that's the whole thing. I think some clients would really gravitate towards a group like that you're holding and really enjoy that. Like some clients come to my group, like, this is the worst thing ever. Like it's just not, yeah. Know, everyone has their style of group totally. they like. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's for sure. And I know, um, I've learned that, I mean, I'm facilitating six groups a week now, and it was a very hard part for me in the beginning, just because to build a group and the personalities in the group, especially when you're, I think two of the groups I have, um, I took over. So they, you know, the personalities and stuff were pretty subtle in there, but 
the other ones that I started getting the personalities that are in there and the study attendance and different things. And you definitely tailor each group differently to those personalities, to how they learn and how they take the information in and stuff. But um, it's interesting because Mesa's group follows my group on Sundays. And I know a lot of the guys go back to back. And sometimes I wonder, they're probably like, oh, Tiffany's so boring because I'm not as dramatic. <laughs> I, 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 bet they, I bet they appreciate the balance, the difference. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause Justin was saying every group, every therapist is different. Like, I mean, Mace and I run very different groups. Justin and I run very different groups. Oh, you know? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I think it's funny because one client in particular sticks out. But in like my group, everything's pretty basic. I mean, he's gives tons of input, all kinds of stuff. And it's like when my group's done, he's breaking out computer and paper and pen and everything for Mace's group. And I'm just like, damn, what are you teaching in there? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hardcore stuff. Yeah, yeah. Calculators. and yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like he had a whole desk set up and like I just. Stylus. Like, my game here. <laughs> well, Protractors. No, no, it's it's like because you have a group right after mine mm-hmm. on Tuesdays, and I actually I think my clients really appreciate the balance there because I mean, oh, you mean Brett? Oh no, yeah, it is yeah. Brett. Yeah, I used to run that one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You know, it is Brett. And then, but yeah, when I run that group, they're all, they, they're like, oh yeah, we really like it. Those work really well back to back because if you have the same style back to back, they gets old. For no, because they're close. like sometimes they're like you get us really amped up, and then we have Brett. <laughs> it's, it calms things down. <laughs> like we're good after that because. Yeah, I don't know. It's well, it's just how we do. This is how we do stuff. So. Well, and I think I'm triple S, and then I think you do CBISO. Yep. In that one, so it kind of you know there is some variety there for yeah. them. Some big time differences. So, well, wrap should we wrap this up? this up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey Tiffany, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Awesome! I had a good time. So, if anybody a, a prospective student from Our Lady of the Lake, what do they do to reach out to us? to get their internship here. They call Jeff at what? Email Jeff. Don't call, don't text, email Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Moore, J-E-F-F-M-O-O-R-E 68 at Comcast.net. Get a new email. Yeah, that was ridiculous. How about, how about, so J- how about Jeff at Utah's best therapy.com? There you, there you go. go. Jeff <laughs> at Utah's best therapy.com. There it is. Or just like a Gmail. Yeah, you- get a new email. You, what, what are you, why are you holding on to that thing? You loser. Uh, nostalgia you know like a, for me, comcast yeah comcast and I my football some, number in high school was 68 yeah, actually <laughs> actually that's such a loser really the actual reason <laughs> oh my goodness that is the actual reason. figure it out bro well it's it's coming it'll happen soon but okay. for now jeff at utah's best therapy.com if you want to intern with us so hopefully by next podcast we'll talk about porn right yeah, porn next time. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. See you then, folks. <laughs> All right. That does it for episode 19 of the Gorilla Social Work Podcast. Thank you for checking this episode out. We also want to thank Tiffany for being willing to come on the show, spend some time with us. We had a lot of fun. And apparently on the next episode, we are going to be talking about pornography, sounds like. So that should be an entertaining one. Make sure you tune in on the next episode. In the meantime, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. I swear we update that more than once every five months. Other than that, we will see you on episode 20 talking about pornography.